Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that we can gather here today as your people, um, as a body together, um, and just worship your greatness. Father, you are above all things. You are so powerful. You are so holy. Um, we are humbled um, that you sent your son to die for us, that you love us, that you've chosen us. And we just thank you for that, Father. I pray you'd be with Mark, um, that you would bless the study that he's done this week as he brings your word, and that we would grow closer to you with humble hearts, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you all here again this morning. Worship God together. We are starting a new series. Today is the first of 12 psalms that we're going to be working through this whole summer uh, with just a few breaks in between. In general, just to give a little basic understanding of the book of Psalms, within the book of Psalms, the, the, it's not just a random collection of songs. There is purpose and meaning and reason behind uh, the songs. The book is actually, the whole book, 150 Psalms, is broken up into five separate books. Um, they all each have a certain focus, but within the book in general, there are six different types of Psalms. You've got hymns of praise, you've got laments, you've got songs of thanksgiving, songs of confidence or trust, you have kingship songs, both the kingship of God and the kingship of David, and then you have songs of wisdom. So throughout the summer, we're going to be working through each type of psalm twice in order to get a basic understanding, not just of the psalms themselves, but their purpose and the focus of the message that they're trying to, to say. And being that the Psalms are poetic in nature, we cannot read or work through them in the same way that we would narratives, which we just recently, well, recently, what, a couple months ago, we got done with 1 Samuel. We'll be hitting 2 Samuel starting in the fall. And we can't read it like we do letters, which is the book of Titus, which we just finished last week. So in other words, just as you would read a love poem differently than you would, say, a novel or a letter that, it's written, that is written to a friend, so you, we have to read and look at these psalms differently. There's poetic, metaphorical language that is rich and full of meaning, and it conveys a specific 
point that the psalmist is trying to get across. But the danger in such language is you lose the forest for the trees. You can get so overwhelmed as, what does this metaphor mean? In other words, why does he use the word Lebanon in our psalm today? So you kind of study that and, okay, what is so important about Lebanon? What, what does he try to say about Lebanon? What happened in Lebanon? Or Kadesh. What is Kadesh? Where is that found in Scripture? What's so important about that area? And then you kind of lose the overall meaning of the psalm. It's not bad to study that and to look into that, and I think it would give a lot of deeper meaning behind it, but you cannot lose the forest for the beautiful specific trees that are in between. So every once in a while, you got to pull back, and you got to look at the psalms, the book, this psalm as a whole, or a psalm as a whole. Don't get lost in the depths of the psalms, without, uh, and then miss the main focus and the point that the author, ultimately God, is trying to get across and trying to communicate. Now, that doesn't mean that they're impossible to understand. Okay, that was kind of my thinking, because let's just be honest, I'm not a poetic kind of guy, okay? When I was dating my wife, I would send her love poems, and she was gracious enough to go, oh, that's sweet. Yeah, it was basically like a 10-year-old writing a love poem, okay? It was terrible, but it was the way I was conveying my love, and she was gracious, and she still married me. So, hey, there you go. So these psalms can be understood, though, and they're way deeper than we may give them credit for, so we can't be afraid of them. At the same time, we can't overlook them. We can't read them and just go, oh, that's nice like my wife did to my poems. That's nice. That's sweet. That's really good. Okay, now let's move on. We, we can't do that. So if we've got, if you're like me, you've got a mathematical mindset, you're going to have to work a little extra harder in studying the Psalms. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. If you can work through, or in other words, if I, maybe I should say, if I can work through this, if I can study this, if I can gain wisdom from a psalm, then any or all of you all can, can do it. So we have no excuse, no matter if you're young or if you're older. It doesn't really matter. Now, that being said, our psalm today is Psalm 29. It's a psalm of David. It's a kingly psalm, but it's not of David being king, But because David's not even mentioned except for in the title. And David's words focus on the king that's enthroned in heaven, Yahweh. Yahweh is the name of God, spoken by God to Moses on the mountain before the events of Israel's great exodus out of Egypt. And in the, the fact that it's found, the word Yahweh, the Lord, so if you look in your Bible and you see the word Lord and it's all in capital letters, um, not every translation has that, but that's the, the editors are pointing out that this is the word Yahweh. This is the word or the name that God gives to himself. And it's found 18 times in this psalm. And if something is repeated, it's probably important. That's like a basic reading scripture. When you see something that's repeated, other than the words and, I've had people say, well, and is in there 25 times. Okay, no, that's... 
Okay, no, this is the word Yahweh being in there 18 times in what, 11 verses? That's a lot. So he's trying to say something. What does it mean? It means, according to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, by the words of God, he, he says, I am who I am. That is what Yahweh means. I am who I am. And as my Bible notes read, the Lord is not defined or determined by anything other than himself. He is the self-existent one. Who are you, God? I'm me. Well, compare yourself to something. Okay, I'm me. He has been, he is, and he always will be. There is no one like him. There is nothing like him. He is the king over all things. That's where we have to start. When you see the word Lord, Yahweh, what David or God ultimately is conveying is he's it. He is the only true king. Well, this psalm is broken into three major sections or stanzas, if you want to say. A call to worship the Lord, a description of the Lord's power, which is a big chunk of this psalm, and then a description of the Lord as king. So we're going to take each one of these at a time, but we have to remember, again, don't become distracted by the richness of the language and lose sight of the psalm's actual focus, because the psalm is not about us. It's not about God's people. It's not even about the world in general, like people in general. This is all about Yahweh. He's the center of it. So, verses 1 and 2. The psalm begins with the words ascribed to or give to the Lord glory and strength. Giving glory to God points to his richness his reputation, his importance, his splendor, his distinction. He's so different and his honor. It is a heaviness or of a or burden in a good way. It's his heaviness and his burden of who he is and his judgments and his salvation that he gives to his people and his blessings. In other words, that, that heaviness, that burden, we like to, sometimes we think of that as a that's a negative thing. It's not. It's saying, how do I, as a finite and sinful human being, speak of my infinite and perfect God? I am, as God's son, as God's daughter, able to pick up the words of God, read them, and have him speak to me. Why do I deserve such a thing? That's that heaviness. It's not a negative heaviness. It's not a put down. It's a God is so good. God is so gracious. He is so loving that he would speak even to me. How good is this God that I worship? He is the Lord. Give to him the glory, do his name, the glory that his works and his being and his character deserve. Worship the Lord in splendor and majesty of holiness because he is set apart. He's different from anything else in all 
of creation. This is a call to worship and glorify God for who he is and what he's done. If we remember back to the Exodus, God is about ready to destroy all of Israel because of the golden calf. And Moses reminds him, if you destroy this nation, what is the rest of the world going to say? Oh, he took him out in the wild, them out in the wilderness just to kill him? God, may your glory be seen through your mercy to these people. It's a call to worship and glorify him. It is not a call to give him something that he lacks, as if God is short on glory and strength and, and he needs the angels, the heavenly beings, to supplement him. As God's people, he does not need us. Do we realize that? That's not popular. God needs me to serve here. No, he doesn't. He needs me to put a write a check out to the church. And, and no, he doesn't need anything from us because he is enough in and of himself. He did not create the world because he was lonely or something was lacking in his life. He did it out of his grace and his mercy to reveal and show his glory, to reveal who he is. This, our God is in need of nothing, absolutely nothing, and he is in need of no one. As a pastor, I have reminded myself constantly, this is not my church. This is not my church. If I start to think that, oh, heaven help me, because you know what? You know the old phrase the parents used to say, I brought you into this world, I could take you out. Well, God actually can say that, right? This is his church. Everything about our lives, one day we will not have. We're going to die. We're going to go into the ground. We're going to become dust again. And our house and our things are going to move on to other people. Our money is going to be given to someone else. We can't take it with us. He is not in need of us. There is nothing we can give to him that he doesn't already own because it is all his. He is sufficient. He is glorious. He is powerful in and of himself. So to ascribe and give him glory and strength is to acknowledge Yahweh for who he really is. He wants us to just rest on the heaviness of this. If we desire to know and worship God rightly, not just on a Sunday morning or in Bible study, but from the moment we wake up, from the time that we close our eyes to go to sleep, and while we're sleeping, we have to begin here. We need to give Him the glory that is due His name. Worship of God does not begin with us. It does not begin with angels. It begins with God himself. We worship him alone because he alone is worthy of our worship and glory. Nothing else is due that kind of worship. And then he, the psalmist switches 
David switches in verse 3. He begins to describe the voice of the Lord. Again, a phrase that is used seven times in these seven verses. And so you start to see this pattern again, over and over again. In Scripture, the voice of the Lord means the power. It is the power of the Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth by the word of His mouth, by His voice. He spoke, and it came to be. I mean, I don't know about you, but I got a, I got a plan i got to cut my right arm off in order to buy the wood, right? And then as I'm going through and making whatever I'm making, I realize a huge mistake that I made. i got to tear it apart and start over. i got to think through it. I'm tired. It takes time, and God goes, water. And there's water. On Mount Sinai, in the book of Exodus, the voice of the Lord is heard by the people of Israel as thunder and earthquakes and trumpets, and they run from it. They beg Moses, Lord, uh, Moses, please, let God stay up there, and we'll stay way back here. And Moses didn't say, well, how dare you say? He's like, you're right. It's right to fear the Lord in that way, to fear his power and his might to fear his voice. The voice of the Lord is the power of the Lord. And there are, in this section, three through nine, there's four different stanzas which point to the power of God over the things of creation. He's, he's sitting, making the point, driving it home over and over. The voice of the Lord, the power of the Lord is this. Verses 3, 3 and 4, the Lord has power over the storms. His power is over the water which falls from the sky. The thunder of these storms reveals the strength of his might. They reveal the majesty and the splendor of God. Storms can be frightening to us. And yet we can marvel at the power of one single lightning bolt. That lightning bolt is given that power by God himself. And he has the power over those storms. Verses 5 and 6, the Lord has power over the strength of uh, creation. The cedars of Lebanon, these trees were known for their strength and their beauty as building materials. Even the temple itself had these cedars um, incorporated into it. But as strong as these trees may be, the voice of the Lord breaks or like I, I looked that word up in Hebrew, breaks. What, what is actually being said there? And it smashes, destroys. If you want to put it in modern terms, disintegrates. The voice of the Lord disintegrates mighty and powerful trees. And then the mountainous regions of Lebanon and Sinian, as strong and as beautiful as they may be, are made to skip and dance, literally shake before the power of the Lord. I've climbed up the mountains of the Appalachians, and they are mountains, by the way. Climb them, and then we'll talk. They're mountains. I've seen the Rocky Mountains. I've seen Mount St. Helens and Mount Rainier, and you, you, I, I woke up once in Banff, Canada, looked out the window, and there was a mountain literally straight up right out the window, and I'm like, 
It's beautiful. It's magnificent. You feel so tiny compared to it. And yet the strength of these mountains are nothing compared to the power of the Lord. He makes mountains shake and quake. They are nothing compared to him. And then verses 7 and 8, the Lord has power over the wilderness. It was his voice which flashed forth flames of fire, wildfires which shook the wilderness. He has the power behind the destructive works of these fires. So you you see the, the floods, the waters, the rains and the storms. You see the fire, wildfires. These are all common occurrences in, well, just in nature in general, but in the land of Israel, and they were powerful. There was nothing they could do over the flood. There was nothing they could do about the wildfires that would rage, but the Lord is the one who was behind all of these works. And then verse 9, finally, he concludes this section with the Lord has the power over life and death, which makes sense. You got storms and thunder and lightning and mountains shaking and wildfires raging. The voice of the Lord thundering in power makes the deer give birth prematurely and the fires created by him strip the forest bare. And so those found in his temple, because of all this, what do they cry? Glory. Glory. And this is an interesting phrase because the temple had yet been built, uh, had not been built at the time of David. When he wrote this psalm, the temple did not exist. They had the tabernacle. Now, he may be planning and thinking ahead. This psalm is for the dedication of this temple. David likely meant that to happen, but whether it happened or not, whether it was meant for that or the meaning is the same. For what makes the temple holy except the presence of God? Revelation 11 describes the temple of the Lord in heaven. There's a temple there. God's people today are described as the temple of God because the presence of the Holy Spirit is within all who believe and are saved. And those, those are His temple. Those in His temple. Those who are in His presence. What can they do but cry glory. In the book of Revelation, John is standing there and he's amazed at what's happening in front of him. He's transported to heaven and he's seeing these glorious things. He hears a voice behind him. He turns around. He sees the glorified Christ and he falls on his face and gives glory to Jesus. Because what else is there to say in the presence of God than glory? Glory. The power of the Lord drives those in His presence to cry out along with the heavenly beings. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. It's Revelation 5.12. Ascribe and give to the Lord the glory and strength due His name. So if we want an application, this is it. 
This is it. Ascribe and give to the Lord the glory and strength due his name. For the voice of the Lord reveals his power and his kingship over all of the universe. And then finally, verses 10 and 11. Verse 10 speaks of his kingship. He sits and reigns enthroned over creation forever. As an earthly king rules and reigns over his kingdom, so the Lord is enthroned in power over all the universe. There is nothing that is not outside of his kingdom. The wind and the waves, the thunder and the lightning, the sun and the moon, they all move at his command. Or to summarize a famous statement by R.C. Sproul, there is not one rogue molecule in the universe. They all belong to the Lord. All is under his command and follow him as king. And when it comes to the people of this earth, they are under his command whether they like it or not. They may not worship him as king, but the day will come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, whether they like it or not, because they cannot help in the presence of God, but to fall down before him and to glorify him. That does not mean they're all saved. (laughs) It just means they will have to acknowledge with every being of their heart, they will hate every moment of it, those who do not love him, but yet they will still acknowledge him. Why? Because he is the king. He is the king of all things, and his rule has no end. Lamentations 5.19 But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Psalm 146.10, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. And that's just a, a few of the proclamations in God's word. When the angel Gabriel visited Mary to tell her that she will conceive the Messiah, God himself, this is what he said. And behold, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The Lord is king of all creation. Jesus is king of all creation. God will never die. God will never be usurped as king. God will never abdicate his throne. God is enthroned forever, and his rule and his reign will never end. Guess what that means? Never For all eternity, past, present, and future, he reigns. And then verse 11, after 10 verses of declaring the glory and the majesty, splendor, strength, power, rule, and reign of the Lord, the people of the Lord are finally mentioned, (laughs) but only in a passive way. And it's stated in a request, may the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. 
You see, our strength is God's people to ascribe Him glory. To live lives of worship comes not from our own efforts, but from Him and from His strength. Do we desire the blessing of peace? Then look nowhere else but to Him because He is our source of strength and peace. Philippians 4, 4 through 7 says just that. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What is Paul saying here? Do we want peace? Are we, are we anxious about the world? Are we, are we struggling? Are we getting consumed by the craziness that's happening in our own lives or in the world around us? Paul says, well, just try harder. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He says, go to the Lord. Why? Because he's king of all things. And if it's of his desire and his will for this thing to happen in your life, these struggles to happen in your life, he will give you the strength and the peace to get through it. May the God of our fathers, may the Lord give us strength. May the Lord give us peace. Please, Lord, do that in my life. Do that for for us. Why? Because you are our glorious God. And nothing is too small for you. The God to whom we worship is not a small God. He is alive and well. He rules with absolute righteous power and authority. He rules over everything we see and we don't see. His power is over all of creation, and even the mountains themselves tremble at His presence. He rules and He reigns forever and ever. This is our God. This is the great I Am who was and is and is to come, never changing forever. And all who are in His presence cry out, glory. We like application right? Like, okay, so what's my practical thing that I could take away from today? Do you know who God is? This time together, I'll just be blunt because, you know, that's the way I work, right? This is not about us. Oh, man, we get blessings out of it, right? We get joy out of it. We get peace. We get strength. But in the end, this is not about us. If we come on Sunday morning because it's easy, if we come on Sunday morning hoping that somehow, some way that I'm going to walk away feeling good about myself, I hope that happens, but not because of my words, not because the worship music or uh, the pastor or the prayers were said exactly right or it's the style that I like or you know, it was short enough so that now I can get home and make sure that my lasagna is in the oven so we can eat sooner rather than later. This is not about us. 
We don't come at Elm Creek to glorify us. Man, if we do, heaven help us. Because in the end, we will all stand before our Savior, before our God, and we're going to say, you know what? I went to church on a regular basis because it made me feel good, God. Now the question is, is my life as God's child, no matter the circumstances, do I acknowledge the glory and the greatness of Yahweh, who is my Savior and my King, who has the power over all things? This is not about me. This is not about us. This is about Him. It's about Him. So if you're looking for application, (laughs) do I truly see God for who He is? And in my life, am I ascribing Him glory and honor and strength that is due His name as my King? And if there's moments that I'm not, well, that's the beauty of the grace of God. (laughs) Well, we were reminded this psalm is here this morning for this specific purpose to remind us as, as God's people, our lives are due Him, are because of Him. I got up this morning because God gave me a gift of breath, not because I was awesome. Not because I have such a great message to give. It's because he gifted that. We are gathered as God's people together because he has gifted it to us. And if for some reason I woke up this morning and immediately fell over dead, God doesn't change. He's still glorious. He's still wonderful. He's still strength. He's still peace. He's still joy. Nothing changes about God. If the doors of Elm Creek closed, is suddenly God a bad God? No. Guess what? He has greater things planned for us as his people. Because he is glorious. And he is the only one who is worthy for us to stand here and worship him in our faults, in our imperfectness, Perfect, is that a word? Imperfections. And he says, yeah, Mark, I I know who you are. In fact, I know you better than you know yourself, but I want you to glorify me. And guess what? I love that. I love it that Elm Creek Community Church is a group of people who are coming to worship me and not themselves. Are we doing that? May the God, may the Lord Give us his strength, and may he give us his peace. May he be the source of our identity and life and death for all generations until the day he comes again. We are about to take communion, and what better way to 
express ourselves in the glory of who he is than to remember what he did for us. Jesus Christ, perfect in all ways, sinless in all ways, by his death and his resurrection, he took our sin upon himself and then he put on us his righteousness. When God looks down on his people, Okay, now, maybe I've, I've said this, I think even it was last week I mentioned this and I caught myself too late. It was after, it was actually after the service. I, I said something to the effect that God makes us righteous in his eyes. Yes, that's true. He declares us righteous in his eyes. Because my, the righteousness that is on me, the righteousness that is you, on you is not yours. It is Christ's. And he did that on the cross. So when God looks down on us as his children, he sees his son. He sees his righteousness. And so when we remember what Christ did on the cross, when he imputed, that's the, the technical term, he imputed his righteousness upon us and saved us from the wrath of God. His life was an atonement for our sin. What do we do? We glorify God. We give Him the praise. We can't take credit for it. He's the one who did it for us and to us. And so, as we take communion, you don't have to be a member of Elm Creek. You have to be a member of God's family. And when you get in line, you take the bread and the drink, the cup, and you pull, come back to your seat, my hope and my desire is we just... We sit there, yes, maybe we confess sin if we have to confess sin, but even after that, you just, just glorify God. Give him the glory that is due his name and go, glorious are you, Lord, that you see me as righteous because of what your son did. Not anything in and of myself, but because of you. Glory be your name, Lord. So when you are ready, go ahead and Start, we'll start the line in the back, grab the elements, come back to your seat, and then as a family of God, we will take the bread and the drink together. So come when you're ready.